This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on when to be honest about personal issues, expectations of grandmothers at sip and see parties, parking lot etiquette, and a question of carrot snatching at the grocery store. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on social media's changing landscape. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about ice cream store sampling. Yep, it's a first for us, and we are happy to share it with you. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we could talk about, like, a million things in my life that would all be inappropriate on the mic. So let's talk about your life, because you had something really fun happen the other week. Anisha's birthday. It was Anisha's birthday. Two years old. I kind of can't believe it. The adorable (laughs) I'm one and three quarters phase is over, and we are now into the two. Is that not adorable? Like, what's the difference? (laughs) One and three quarters was always a good laugh line. Oh, okay. Gotcha. (laughs) Not getting it. Sorry. That's all right. It was um, it felt momentous. Mm-hmm. We had a three day rolling party. Oh, yeah. Pooge made cupcakes mm-hmm. for her to take to school. She gets to bring special treats for all of her little preschool friends. Is it like? Do you guys get like the instruction card of like all the things that can't be in the cupcakes? Is that how it works nowadays? It is. Mm-hmm. Fortunately for us, Anisha's the one. It's more that mom is a big fan, I guess, of not giving Anisha sugar. Mm-hmm. So sugar's a big treat for her. Yeah. In fact, it's almost made it a bigger deal. The difference between us growing up was you guys ate sugar cereal like all the time and we didn't. And it was always like a thing like, well, why do they get it? And we don't. Da, 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 da. My mother taught us how to read the number of grams of sugar in a box. And there, believe it or not, there was a threshold that the, the fruity pebbles and cocoa puffs were too high a sugar threshold. But Will and I learned how to read those grams of sugar to find out which ones you could do. Golden grams counted. That mm-hmm. was like under the line. Honey Nut Cheerios is under the line. Yep. But yep, I, I had I had a similar thing. But I remember we would always come to the house on the vineyard after you guys, and sometimes there would be very sugary cereal left, and those were the two weeks we were allowed to eat it for. So actually, this is one of those places where Pooch and my parenting differs. We. Have discussions. Oh, really? Discuss- That's the polite way you say it, guys. <laughs> discussions. All right. I say, oh, a little treat is a treat. And Pooj, her idea of the number of treats or how often they happen is, is much smaller than mine. 
But this is her birthday, so she gets cupcakes. I was going to say, I can attest to that from the number of times that I have called my cousin when he's right around the time of picking his daughter up from daycare. And, oh, we're going to get a creamy. That's soft-serve ice cream, for those of you that don't know. And it was amazing how frequent those creamies were this summer when we were with Dad. (laughs) Creamies are almost health food, okay? (laughs) Yeah, sure. You believe whatever you want. (laughs) I'm teasing. Nisha saw these cupcakes getting cooked, and we couldn't stop the cupcake eating so the party started <laughs> on Wednesday night and in other words you've like injected her with three days worth of sugar <laughs> she got to pick the kind of cupcake she went with butter cake chocolate frosting and sprinkles it's hysterical by day two she was saying she didn't want us to sing happy birthday because that delayed the, the cupcake. cupcake eating no sing no sing <laughs> no <Cupcake>. happy birthday <laughs> no happy birthday <laughs> My sister-in-law, Susan, always cries at her daughter's birthdays. You guys as a family have three different birthdays that all come like really close together, right? So that's why we've got three days of celebrating sort of and then plus add on the school celebrating and the next thing you know. So, yeah, there was the cooking of the cake celebrating, the actual day of celebrating, and then the day after where we did the combo birthday party for Grandpa and Auntie Susan. But Susan doesn't cry at her own birthdays. She cries at her daughter's birthdays. Mm -hmm. And I used to witness this, and I always thought it was sort of sweet, but I didn't fully get it. I'm understanding a little better now. now. Oh, you're older. You're not. You're not. Oh, Dan's going to start living in the past. (laughs) I'm trying not to. I'm trying to stay present and appreciating everything about her as she grows. But I so love my little daughter just crawling on me and being my little daughter that... These birthdays are sweet, 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 and they just have this tiny little hint of sadness to them also. Well, now you know why people have second kids. (laughs) It's true. My mother calls this the danger zone. It's when you decide you want more. (laughs) Well, a big happy birthday to little Miss Anisha, who is growing up and so much fun. I will pass that along. And today, we have some questions to get to. Oh, just like every day on this show. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. 
Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member in your message. Our first question today is titled, Honesty is a Good Policy, but not the only one. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. My sister and I are constantly turning to each other for etiquette advice. In most situations, we can guide each other fairly well, but there is a recent situation that leaves us both stumped. My sister does not drink alcohol and does not keep alcohol in her home. It is more than a preference. For her, she is a recovering alcoholic. She has a cleaning lady who every holiday season chooses to gift her with a very large and nice bottle of Grey Goose vodka. My sister says she's so overwhelmed with the generous gesture of the idea that her cleaning lady would gift her that she has always thanked her and then quickly re-gifted the alcohol. Regifting this gift is not a hard thing to do. However, my sister worries that the cleaning lady notices that the large bottle of alcohol is not in the home as she comes into the home weekly and is intimately involved with the details of the home. Our question is, should she tell the cleaning lady she doesn't drink? She doesn't want to offend her in any way and wonders what this might accomplish. Would the cleaning lady feel compelled to get another gift? It only happens once a year, and the regifting is not a hard thing to do. However, my sister worries that the cleaning lady may have already noticed that the bottle quickly is gone and may be curious as to where it is going and why it is not in the home. My sister also brings up the fact that she is not being difficult here. This is a health issue for her. For her, having a bottle of alcohol in the home is not safe and challenges her. How can she convey this personal information to a generous person who is trying to be kind? Please help. Thanks so much. You know, this really depends on what the bigger priority is to your sister, whether it's the not having to interact with the bottle of alcohol and also not having to feel like someone is constantly getting you a gift that really is something you're always going to give away that you know you're not going to be able to receive and keep, or whether the bigger priority is maintaining her anonymity around her alcoholism and, and who she lets into that life and I think that's kind of the balance that I see here a little bit and the decision. So we're not going to be able to make that decision, but your sister will. And I think that if I was going to bring it up in order to say, you know, I don't actually drink and I always feel bad because you get me this bottle of alcohol, you know, that kind of a thing. I think if this has been like a couple years in a row, the same gift, we're starting to see a tradition, a trend emerge. That's actually something you you can speak up about and notice. And I would start the conversation next year before the holidays or just around the holidays. And I would say something like, I don't want to be presumptuous, but based on the past couple of years, I notice you always get me this wonderfully thoughtful gift of alcohol, and I really should let you know that I actually don't drink alcohol. 
And I I wanted to let you know that because I felt bad, you know, repurposing the gift each year. And I really would love for that exchange to be easier. But I also didn't want to presuppose that you were going to get it again. And, and so I just felt it was best to be honest. And I think saying something like that, just saying, you know, I, I've had this going back and forth in my head. And at the end of the day, it'd be smart for me to just speak up and know that I can... I can trust that. I think that's the way that you approach something like that. If you don't like exposing that part of yourself, if that doesn't feel like the right thing, given the relationship between you and your cleaning lady or your sister and her cleaning lady, excuse me, then I would suggest continuing to re-gift the gift and you treat it just like any gift that you receive that you don't really want and you, you know, accept it graciously and move it on. I had a very similar thought and approach when I read this question. I think there's a, a very personal choice that your sister gets to make here about how much she wants to disclose. And that's really that's really up to her. There's not a, an etiquette guide there, except that we often say safety is more important than etiquette. And if there's a safety health concern here that says, no, it's, it's important that I let this person know because it has the potential to impact me in a way that isn't healthy and isn't safe, then it's up to you to do it. And like you, Lizzie Post, I was saying to myself, what are your opportunities to have that discussion? Because it when? is a bit of a tricky discussion <laughs> right? to say this isn't the right gift or I'm anticipating this isn't going to be the right gift or that thing you just gave me was the wrong <laughs> gift. These are potentially tricky conversations. Delicate moments. <laughs> and I think that you look for those moments of opportunity. I really like your moment of opportunity using tradition. I also wondered how many years has this happened? Is right. it really something you can count on? Because if it is, if it's something you're anticipating with some certainty that happens with regularity, then that's a real opportunity. In fact, probably the best opportunity to have that discussion. I think you can also do it right in the moment. I think you can keep that light touch. You can be honest. You can be forthright and you can decide how much you want to disclose. It's kind of like you can use the surprise of the moment to go with it, right? Like a little bit in that like – oh my gosh, I'm allergic to this, but thank you so much. You know, it's like, that's such a thoughtful idea. It doesn't work for me, but thank you. This is great. I mean, is it kind of like, does it sound kind of like that? Yes. There's <laughs> and off- this isn't allergies, I'm sorry, but it's, you know, but it's a similar idea. Similar. And if you had a strong allergy to nuts, right. you would tell somebody. <laughs> Which Kelly Williams Brown had to do for me when I sent her the candy with walnuts in it. And she said, Lizzie Post, this is the sweetest thing. I cannot eat it because I have, I have an allergy to walnuts, but I'm going to pass it on where it will be loved. I felt fine with it. And that was in the moment, cuz. You've got the information, and you also know how to make a better choice next year if that would be possible for you. This person might just have a really good access <laughs> to this particularly nice gift, and that might be why it comes. That that's, also happens. You know, that's a really good thing to remember, too. We don't know how gifts come about, and sometimes that is just important to remember. Dan and I give etiquette books a lot, you know? It makes sense. <laughs> I just had a thought maybe she's regifting this because she doesn't drink. Maybe. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Anonymous, this is a bit of a tricky situation, but I think it's a good one to think about. Prepare yourself ahead of time. Have that sample script ready and know what your own lines are. And I think that's going to make it easier. Whether you drink or whether you don't drink is up to you. Getting drunk is something else again. Well, how do you feel about drinking, Susan? Drinking just doesn't interest me. This question is titled, Sip and See Grand Expectations. Hello, my daughter-in-law's mother and friend are hosting a sip and see. I have not been asked to participate, even though I have asked many times. 
Am I, being the grandmother, expected to be at the sippancy for the entire time? Thank you, Glennis. Glennis, congratulations on the Yay! new arrival. It's so nice to hear, and it's so nice also to hear about a little party to celebrate. I like the sip and see parties. Those are those are for after baby has arrived, and as you kind of gather everyone at once, often the party spans an amount of time that the baby's likely to be awake at some point during the visit. I think it's a great idea for new parents who are often overwhelmed with people wanting to come visit and trying to deal with it during all of I just I, I like the sip and see party because I find that those first couple months are really tough for parents to feel confident reaching out and inviting people and for other people to feel confident saying, hey, I'd like to come meet the baby. It's like everyone's not wanting to bother people or not capable of reaching out and bothering people because it's all so new. So sip and sees, I think, are really their tradition, I hope, continue. What's the sip? Oh, you come over for a drink and meet the baby or come over for some punch and meet the baby. I was just curious because I'm thinking etiquette. I'm wondering if there's going to be tea involved in this situation. <laughs> you certainly could. I think for some groups and families, it'll be the mimosa style or Bloody Mary style. For others, it'll be the punch and lemonade style. And for others, maybe tea and cocoa. <laughs> cocoa sounds so good right Doesn't now. Doesn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> Polar vortex. I also asked that question with a purpose because mm-hmm. I'm trying to picture the the spirit and the nature of the event. I think because there's a baby involved, it's probably going to be not too long. This is a usually a relatively new baby. Oh, good point. Yes, the party is actually expected to be a fairly short party. Yeah. But there also might be more of a open house vibe than a, we're getting together to sit around a table and eat or play certain games. And a little bit depending on the nature of the party, because you're not hosting you've got a little bit of latitude. If it's a real open house type event, you can show up usually around the start time, stay for a decent period of time, about an hour, and then you're free to make your own choices based on your own stamina, your own interest in what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But as as a guest, as someone who's not a host, you get to make that choice. If you're at a party where there's some sort of event, central event, a meal or games or... This isn't a shower, but a shower where there's a shower of gifts. You try to stay and participate in those things that are making the The party happen. Yeah, the things we think of as the main events of the party, you know, the touch points that are going to happen and are intended to happen during this time. You don't want to miss those. So with the sip and see, I would definitely stay through the sip and the see. I would make sure that I'm there for that. But I'm also hearing in the very first sentence that Glynis is disappointed that she's offered to help and has not been taken up. And... I know that feeling. That's a frustrating feeling when you want to participate and someone kind of isn't letting you participate or isn't, we've used that word before, letting you, isn't taking you up on your offer to participate. I often will tell myself, okay, then my role is to be a really great guest. And a really great guest does stay for the party. And especially, I think, a guest that is um, so closely connected to the honoree, which is this brand new little baby. Pending any kind of health issues that make it complicated or difficult for you to stay more than a half hour, hour, two hour, however long your stamina, as Dan said, can can hold out. 
I would say you really do want to stay the whole time. I don't think you want to be one of those people leaving. I think, you know, the closer you are to the baby, the more like common it is for you to really participate for as long and and even offer to help. I mean, that's it doesn't have to be. You've offered to help and been denied it. So you might not really feel that being that kind of a gracious guest when you're there. Oh, let me get the plates. Let me do the cleanup. Let me do that. Th- that might not be. And you might also be encouraged not to do that by your hosts. But I do think that being that close to the family, you're not like grandma in quotes as like, you know, a friend of a friend that's been around for a long time. It's you're you're one of the grandmothers. And so I do think you'll you'll want to be present for that party. I like that advice to focus on being a good guest and bringing your best spirit and your best self to that party. I heard also in this question that I've, I've asked to help many times and I was saying to myself, you can always say I'm going to offer one more time. Yes, exactly. And I'm going to be really clear about my offer that I'm not offering to co-host. But if there's anything you need me to do, I'd be happy to help out. Once you've done that, sort of give yourself that that final hurrah and then transition to that guest role and, and do it with vigor and enthusiasm. Glynis, we hope that this helps and we hope that you have a wonderful time at this sip and see and enjoying all the joys of grandmotherhood. We certainly had a wonderful time at her party last month. Oh, awesome. We all enjoy being together, but is anyone left out? I don't think so. This question is about parking lot etiquette, and it uh, came in via our voicemail, so we have a voice to listen to. Awesome. Hello, this is Alexandra. I'm calling because I have a question about parking lot etiquette. I've moved to a new state. I now live in Michigan. And I find that drivers here don't tend to signal, and especially in parking lots, uh, you find them, they're almost running over pedestrians. But even more, they'll see a parking spot, and they'll stop in the middle of a lane and block traffic. And I'm in the approaching lane. They're blocking both ways direction. Don't have a signal for the the lot. And it blocks. Alexandra, I fear that we got cut off, but I also think we, we've got the, the most out of the question. Parking lot etiquette, it's a thing. And parking lots are not, A, they're not all designed the same. They also have not really increased the size of many parking spaces, despite how much bigger our cars are now. I hadn't thought about that. Well, and then some people really aren't familiar with, like, if you're in an angled parking lot, that there are directions you're supposed to drive down the rows in mm-hmm. and directions you're not supposed to drive down the roads in. So like car- parking lots are this weird like heavily used not unified system in America and elsewhere <laughs> that and, and unified in certain ways but not enough apparently to really make it easy. I can't get over how much snow will affect a parking lot and how you just like people just park wonky in the winter. It's just the way it goes. You can't see the lines. You can't see the lines even when you can see the lines. Sometimes the snow banks mean that you have less of a parking space mm-hmm. to work with. So then you have a dilemma. Do I go find a different space and let a smaller car take this or do I do that there's so much when it comes to parking I was really delighted that Alexandra asked this question but 
to get to your details. <laughs> I feel a zipper merge kind of response coming know, to this. I know, I do too. So I don't really love people just stopping in the middle of the lane and like waiting forever for someone to fully pack their car. And then if the person doesn't really look ready to leave, I think you got to pull out. At the same time, if you're in one of those lots, at a big box store or something, or maybe a, a small parking lot where there's very few options, and you really are, I mean, it's going to take you another half hour Circling, if you don't take this spot. looking for a spot. Yeah, you're going to want to put on your blinker and you are going to want to stay there and wait and secure that spot for yourself. I agree with you that how you do that makes a difference to the people around you. And if you can, while you are waiting, be within sort of your lane. And we know they aren't always identified clearly, but you want it. We drive on the right here in the United States. So we're going to say it from that perspective. You want to be over to the right of sort of the the passing driving area of the lot. And then um, when you finally can pull into the spot, that is a place where I could see someone crossing over this kind of middle middle ground territory. Where you sort of swing wide to get the angle to drive in forward. And I am never going to not advocate for that because it helps you park better if you do do need a wider swing. Nice and straight (laughs) in that spot. You can really get into that spot comfortably and not then create more problems that have this domino effect on the the thing. But I agree. You don't want to sit there on the left side blocking the traffic. Of traffic. Yeah, exactly. I'm also wondering if you do that where you're waiting and you stay right, you could even create a little room by moving right. Using that blinker indicates that you're going to pull into that spot. I like the idea also of, and this is now a driving class, not an etiquette class, where you pull past and pull out and then back into the spot. I believe they call that the K-turn. It's sort of, a, yeah, it's like the first part of a three-point turn if you were turning around to go the other direction. Yes. I like facing out when I'm parking. I like to set myself up for the easy departure. I mean, do you do the drive through to the next one? I mean, that's that's the, the best, right? It is, but how frustrating is it when you're pulling into that parking space and the other person who already technically has a space to work with pulls into your space, forcing you to have to like go all the way around to get there now, not use space. It's that's one where if I see if I see that happening, if I'm pulling forward across the front of that first parking spot line into the next space, so that I'm facing out, and someone else is coming in, yes. I wave and say, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and I just back up and I just deal with it. But the person who then doesn't like let you do that doesn't you know doesn't do that. I'm like, what? like it really. It does get my revenge brain going. Like, I fully admit that part of my brain kicks in. I'm like, huh, wouldn't it be nice if a door just opened really hard next to you? Or like... Let's suppose thank you for admitting that because it, it gets me to the first thing I wrote in the show script. Notice Dan doesn't admit that he never has thoughts like that. Road rage, or in this case, parking lot rage, is a real thing. We were laughing before we started recording this question about a, a recent video of someone that jumped on the hood of a car. Oh, gosh, yes. And got driven around. People give themselves so much latitude when they're when they're experiencing the safety or the perceived safety of that car separating them from other people. Sometimes our, our worst characters come out in those moments. And... It's something that Emily Post wrote about mm-hmm. as cars were being invented and first used widely. She was talking about road rage in the 1940s. Uh, when people were driving like all of 25 miles an hour, just so you know. <laughs> but And there were fewer rules. People yes. were still just figuring out this whole new thing, this horseless carriage. And 
I think sometimes that 25, that 45 felt faster than anything anyone had experienced ever before. Dan, not even I think it did. It did. It was like, I mean, there's a there's a moment in Mad Men where someone ends up like, you know, Betty gets into an accident. He's like, well, if you weren't driving so fast, she was going like 25. (laughs) Like, it's like nothing. Well, you pointed out cars have gotten bigger. These things are going to keep changing. We're going to be dealing with driverless cars soon. Road rage, how we behave on the road, how we treat each other when we're in our cars and interacting around cars is so important. And this is where in my script I say, in your best dad voice, driving is a big responsibility. (laughs) You are driving like a a 1,500 to 2,000 pound piece of machinery that is metal and plastic and electric. And it's so powerful. It's one of the most powerful things that we get to do on a daily basis. And it is such a big responsibility. Going back to those cardinal rules of etiquette, consideration, respect, honesty, and managing your emotions, managing your responses, taking responsibility, thinking about other people, communicating clearly. That's what your blinker and your horn used responsibly are for. We'll do Lizzie Post horn translator on a future show. (laughs) Those are the broader etiquette points that I think a question like this gives us an opportunity just to mention and gives all of us a chance to reflect on. Alexandra, we hope this covers it for you and that helps you breathe a little easier if someone does cross that sort of middle line of the driving section. And hopefully more people will be waiting considerately, using their blinkers considerately and not pulling forward when someone else is pulling into a spot considerately. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of considerately's that we could do. And unfortunately, if people aren't behaving considerately, that it helps you hold yourself accountable and remember not to respond in kind because that's the way that we truncate and shut off this rudeness that doesn't need to just grow and amplify even in these sometimes awkward situations. Yeah, you don't want like your parking lot angst and frustration turning into your store angst and frustration. Then you're just making other people's days bad. (laughs) Your home angst and frustration. Okay, so I had a thought at the very end of this, and that was, what if if we got our listeners to write in about encouraging signage, which, by the way, original word for etiquette. Little signs. (laughs) signs. Encouraging signage for better parking lot experiences. If you drove into a parking lot and there were more signs that said things about how people behave in this, would you behave better? Would it remind you? Would you at least feel relief that the message is out there? I'm curious. Let us know. A left turn must be made with great care, always observing the right-of-way rules. Check the traffic to your left and rear and give your left turn signal well in advance. Make your trip a pleasure rather than a hassle. Our final question today is about snatching carrots before the storm. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I had a weird encounter at the grocery store that left me wondering if I'd committed an etiquette faux pas. And since you two have been so good at judging encounters like this, I was wondering if you could weigh in. It was a busy day at the store, with a big storm predicted for the next day. Lots of people, including myself, were doing our grocery shopping before the storm and gathering ingredients for warm, comforting snow day foods to enjoy while cooped up inside. I was in the produce section and needed carrots, and as I was selecting a bag, a woman next to me put down a bag conveniently within reach, so I picked it up without thinking. She snapped. Okay, well, that's the bag I just put down. 
Figuring maybe she was still considering it, I offered it to her, but she went on to say, you people are all acting like there won't be any food tomorrow. She definitely had someone take her parking space in the parking lot. Stunned, I stammered out that I just wanted to make soup and profusely apologized for being rude, but she dismissed me and went on with her shopping, clearly agitated. Now, regardless of whether she overreacted, I know in hindsight I should have at least said, excuse me, and perhaps picked up the carrots more gently, but I'm wondering, is it considered rude to pick up a product right after someone puts it back? Should I have waited a few seconds and then asked her if it was okay? I hope that this encounter, and your answer if you choose to give it, will help me become a more respectful and polite customer, Allison. Allison, you are so thoughtful. I think my brain would have been like, okay, lady, like, just move right along. But no, it's it's a thoughtful moment, and you do want to make sure that when someone has just put something back, that they really are finished considering it as an item for purchase. And this gets like... I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I strategize when I go to our, like, local French bakery about, like, you don't order your coffee first, you order your pastry first, and you order the first one, the one that you most want, because who doesn't buy more than one pastry? Um, This is what happens during Train the Trainer when I'm buying the pastries in the morning before class starts. I have to go in and make sure that I order the ones everyone wants first, so that those are the first ones that the person then grabs, because otherwise someone else orders might actually get the last. I mean, it's like strategic stuff here. So in the grocery store where there's a lot of people and you are often looking for, you know, the best tomato, the best this, the you know, the bag that feels right to you. What sparks joy? You know, <laughs> that's the moment, right? And so someone just puts it down and then whips that bag right out. That would be like kind of a little bit feisty grocery store behavior, I would say, a little little, little uh, rushed or hurried, maybe we'd say, a little desperate. Clearly, the person that you were shopping next to was feeling the effects of everyone getting nervous about the storm. So you can just kind of write it off as, okay, this woman's definitely experiencing this more than I am. That's playing a part in this. But I think language you could have used would have been, oh, are you not going to get those? That bag looks great to me. And that might be a way to just, before grabbing the bag, really checking in to make sure the other person is finished with it. And then I think she wouldn't feel quite so compelled to judge you so harshly on your carrot-grabbing speed. I mean, the things we judge each other about are hysterical. Like, And, and the assumption, like, you're all stoked to make your stew, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to be inside, cozy, warm, high, whatever you want to call it. Carrots, chicken noodle carrots, soup. chicken noodle soup, beef stew. We've been talking about beef stew a lot in the office lately. Like, whatever it is, it's, it's there, and you're stoked about it. And she's here thinking that you're, like, desperate for food, worried you're never going to eat again, and that the whole world is going to close. It's like y'all have two really different perspectives in the moment because you don't know each other and you're not really going to spend time getting to know each other. It can create such deliciously awkward moments like you're just totally like smacked down for grabbing a bag of carrots. That's crazy. Okay, so that was terrible. The the reply was definitely rude. She was out of line. She was totally out of line. And then denying the apology. I know. I'm sorry. Would you like this bag of carrots? Ugh. You like, people. You people. Anytime someone says Anytime you people. you're you peopled, things are really going downhill fast. <laughs> That's a name that never does well afterwards. <laughs> like... This question had me getting a little philosophical. Mm. I was thinking about how rudeness is just really on this fine edge. It's 
Oh, yeah. It's just beyond what we consider acceptable from mm-hmm. the people around us. It's it's not so bad. You're going to go tell the manager she grabbed my carrots. <laughs> but it's But it's bad enough that it just makes you want to say something. And I was also thinking about possession. What's possession? I just put that down. That's still mine. And personal space. Are you... Am I standing in front of it when I put it down? Was it kind of between us? Was it a little bit next to me and a little bit next to you? Or was it still mine just because I'm the one who's there in front of it? I think those things actually do factor in because rudeness is on the edge. I think you want to be a little more careful if you're reaching into someone else's space. Zone. I think that <laughs> – That's about 18 inches around you, by the way. That's like you 18 know, inches, it's about comfortable, 18 inches, comfort zones. personal distance. I have really long arms, so I think my zone's a little bigger, but maybe I'm wrong. I just need to be aware that my long arms might exit my zone. And that's 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 an average for everybody. That's We all know a close talker or two. We all know people <laughs> who like to stand a little close. We know people who prefer a little more distance. Timing is also a factor here. Time and space. I just set that down. And how quick was the snatch? Did it happen as it left my hand or... Did it sit there for just a minute before you came in? Did you come in fast or did you come in slow? Were her, her hands both on it at the same time? Yeah, that's pretty much grabbing it out of someone's hand then. You know, I like this. I like this, Gus. Is it a box? Is it produce? I liked your acknowledgement that sometimes we like to spend a little time with the produce that we're about I'm to like purchase. I'm like obnoxious about it. I'm like, hmm, this carrot will definitely taste better than that carrot. They might. Those magic words really are magic. Are. And I think that you've identified in your question the correction to make next time. Pardon me, are are, are you going to grab that? Boom, done. No, you're welcome to it. Yeah, exactly. No, take it. No, grab Whatever. Yes, I'm still looking at that. Yeah. What I might not do is just say, excuse me, as in like an excuse me of you're kind of still in the way of the carrots as I reach to get it. Like if if I reach in front of you to get that, I might not leave it at just an excuse me. I might I really think it's important to include the question about whether the person is finished with the item or not. Maybe the excuse me is enough if it wasn't a bag of carrots they'd just been holding. Maybe if it's just an excuse me to get past them to get something. That makes total sense. If they haven't been like, okay, they're looking at the mushrooms that are stacked up higher and you want the carrots that are down like a little flatter on the table. They're spending a lot of time looking at carrots. Excuse me or pardon me. Absolutely. But when they've just put it down, that's when you want to ask if they're finished for sure. Allison, I do think that we can acknowledge that you might have been right on that edge of rudeness, that uh, excuse me, a pardon me might have might have helped avoid the whole situation. But we also think that the way this person responded to you was pretty atrocious. Your apology is an example of the good correcting etiquette and the reflection that you're giving this whole situation afterwards is also really good at it. Well, it, her apology makes the rudeness not a rudeness. It's, it's, it becomes just a, oh, shoot, I was unaware that that was a little too quick. That It makes her just unaware rather than rude. And then the, 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 the other person just throws it right back into the category of, no, unforgivable act by you. Goodbye, you storm hoarder. Like, I mean, just, whoa. Allison, we not only want to know what those carrots ended up being used for, but we also want to hear from our other audience members about your awkward shopping moments. There are clearly a lot of delicious details to get into on this topic. Thank 
Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. We really do love hearing your voices on the show, so please, please, please leave us those voicemails. Or you can reach out to us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst, I-N-S-T. Or on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today's piece of feedback may sound familiar because it deals with a topic that we've heard about on this show before. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I wanted to provide some feedback on the episode regarding responses to saying thank you. Many years ago, I got used to saying you're welcome because I realized I didn't like the way it felt saying uh-huh or no problem. Sometime in 2018, I saw a comment on a friend's Facebook about this exact question. It wasn't until reading this Facebook comment that I realized this particular thought. The phrase no problem is made up of two negative words, no and problem. The commenter felt it sounded too negative and would avoid using no problem for that reason. This post provided a lot of options to replace you're welcome and no problem. After reading the responses, I started implementing some of them. I found myself rotating to also use of course or it's my pleasure when responding especially on phone calls or in conversations where I have said you're welcome more than once already. Thank you for all you do, Christina. Christina, thank you for sending in your feedback. It's an oldie but a goodie. It kind of I never get tired of hearing the different ways that we can have our language be more positive. And I've also really appreciated the folks who have written in to say that, yeah, but this is also really common in a lot of other languages. De nada, for instance, in Spanish is, you know, no problem. It's nothing. In yeah. French. It, yeah, exactly. Durian in French. And so we've we've kind of seen this this mix of feelings about it. And my big thing is I just like having more and more people be aware that that mix is out there, that no problem doesn't sound great or feel great for everyone. And your welcome can sometimes feel too formal for some people or feels like you're taking credit for some reason when you don't really want to. And so there's some interesting just personal things that come into it as well. But ever, ever interesting how we choose to talk to one another. I like the linguistic specificity. Yeah. This idea that this whole construct is built out of two negative words and even just thinking about if you were to word cloud your speech. Yeah. Are my words positive or negative? And that's a, a, a new way for me to think about what is often a classic situation. Totally. And words can be, it's okay to have negative opinions. We don't have to all be positive all the time. It's nice. It is polite to be positive, especially in, um, you know, less familiar settings. Politeness as a tool to not lie about, not mask your own thoughts or feelings, but to allow you to interact with others and not offend them, I think is Build great. Build goodwill. Yeah, exactly. And there are times where I, you know, I use you're welcome because it wasn't really my pleasure to do this thing, but it was something that I, I was happy to do for the other person, or I can say I'm happy to, or, well, that's kind of same in the pleasure department, but it's, there's different times you might choose to use different phrases based on how accurately you feel connected to them. Christina, thank you for bringing us back to this classic. 
And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is on the... The cutting edge of etiquette. And really? It's about, yes. This is, <laughs> this is the new frontier. Is it still the cutting edge? <laughs> it is. Okay. And here's the twist. Okay. Today's postscript is about social media, but it's about changes that are occurring in the social media oh. environment now. We've had social media for a while now, and our behavior with it is starting to change, especially after the past year of news around social media. Absolutely. The origin for this postscript came out of an interview that I did with Molly Baker, who writes for the Philadelphia Inquirer. She was calling to ask me about situations where people who've participated on social media have decided not to and have pulled back and about the conflicts or potential problems that that creates in relationships when that medium of communication doesn't disappear but becomes less dependable. Oh, man, I wish we both could have been on that interview or I could have been a fly on the wall because that I am dealing with this right now. I pulled back from social media three years ago, and I have noticed it's having a really hard impact on some of my friendships. There are whole social groups and circles yep. that have learned to depend on social media to remember people's birthdays, to keep up on major life events. And maybe now one person in that group isn't visiting Facebook every day like they did once. Maybe they're not going at all. Maybe they've removed their account. Maybe they just check in occasionally. Maybe that occasionally means once a week. Maybe it means once a month. Mm -hmm. Maybe it varies dramatically. And all of a sudden, people are feeling like they aren't heard or they're not connected. And Molly was curious, how do you approach this? How do you handle this from all different angles? What's the etiquette involved here? There's not a simple answer. It's not like we have a set of tips that we looked at that have worked for 100 years and we can just turn to that list and say, well, these are the major points. This is a newly emerging moment for us. We embraced social media when it came out and it was newly emerging. And now there's a change that's widespread enough that people are starting to call and ask questions about it, which is also how we at the Institute tend to notice that something is really impacting American culture is we start getting a lot of media requests for a particular topic. And as you say, this is a phenomenon I've noticed in my own life. You say you've noticed it in your life and you say to yourself, boy, this makes sense. I'm feeling this myself also. How am I handling this? How do I deal with it? Molly and I had a really good discussion. I'll definitely put up a link to that article when it lands. Some of the things that we talked about were that oftentimes traditional etiquette can provide some real insight in these moments that you can look back to how people have managed changes in communication technology in the past, and you can look for the things that have worked for generations to say to yourself, boy, that's a pretty good indicator that those things are going to continue to work or that they might be they might contain useful lessons for my generation to apply. Big picture, etiquette's about relationship skills. These are about how we maintain, support, grow, and value relationships. And Keeping your focus on the value of relationships is, I think, a good thing to do whenever there's a change like this or whenever communication is changing. Put the time in. Place value on relationships and make decisions accordingly. I think the easiest answer is go back to the things that you did before. Pick up a phone. Give someone a call. Give them a text. 
go visit them. Go see them in person if possible. If those relationships matter, it's important that you continue to invest the time and that you spend the time to nurture or grow those relationships or just to check in with them. Are you talking about if you're the person who's disengaged or if you are a person who still uses it and someone from your world on Facebook or other social media like disengages? Which perspective? Both. I think this applies in both directions. I think that good communication around that disengagement might be part of that also, Mm -hmm. that whenever a big change happens in a relationship, acknowledging it is something that's worth doing. If you've really connected with someone on social media and you're pulling back, sending them a quick note as you make that decision and asking for their address or the best way to keep in touch with them if if you're not going to be on social media, I think is a really good move. And it brings me to another tip or idea that we got to in that interview, which was update your address book. Mm -hmm. Spend a little time with your contacts. And I think that is a good way to actually make a contact with someone that maybe you dip back into that social media just long enough to figure out what the, the next best method is going to be. Maybe it's that you check in with people's birthdays or the holidays that they celebrate and you make little notes in your contacts about that because those are real opportunities to make that call or to reach out and touch someone, send a little card or note. It might be taking the time to just put all – when you gather this info, to put it all in your actual calendar. That way you don't need the reminder from the social media site for the birthday or the this or the that. Yeah. Absolutely. And the the type of feeling that you have might not be quite as immediate. You might not hear the next day from someone about a major event in their life. But if you say to yourself, I'm going to call that college friend twice a year. I'm going to make sure that I just touch base twice a year and I'm going to do that on the birthday and sometime around the new year. That can be enough to check in with each other about new jobs, developments in family. I moved or a a change happened that's significant, that's something that's worth knowing about and sharing. I'm curious, did you guys cover it all when this doesn't go well in your interview? Because I'm thinking about this in my own life and how how sad I've been at how friendships have dissolved sort of or at least kind of disappeared because even with checking in via text message and phone calls, um, if you are someone who is really used to delivering all your news via social media, I have found that more often than not, when I then reach out to try to get such news not via social media – I'm met with a, I'm too busy, I don't have time, this isn't how I efficiently handle this, like, and it, I'm, it makes me really sad because sometimes you then see someone went through huge life events, I mean, whether it's an illness or it's losing a parent or whatever it is, there's a lot of big things that can happen, and then I've found it's made the catching up really hard and awkward. I feel like I'm almost trying to weasel my way into someone's life again at then a really difficult time or just to get info about a difficult time. It's created this very strange dynamic when really all I care about is being able to express how much this person has meant to me and that I'm, you know, like, it's it's so crazy, Dan. Like, there's so many different ways that this can really end friendships. You bring up two things that we talked about. One is that the news in people's life isn't always news that's happy news or yeah. news that is that is exciting, good, great, stuff that we're enthusiastic about sharing, but it's important. And the, the, the fun, great, good, it's very easy to text someone when you've heard through the grapevine that they got married. Oh, my God. 
gosh, I just heard you got married. Oh my gosh, I just heard you had a baby. Much harder to reach out. Oh my gosh, I just heard you have cancer, right? And this is another place where that traditional etiquette can really help and you can lean on it. That notes of sympathy and condolence when someone dies are appropriate and important parts of good etiquette. And a lot of people are out of the habit of using a lot of these traditional etiquettes. And part of pulling back from social media is learning how to build those habits again and that it can feel awkward or difficult the first condolence or sympathy note that you write. But once you've done it a couple times, that that muscle memory starts to kick in and the, the good habit forming makes it easier and easier and easier to do. And those are things that matter to people. And those are important moments. And it's not always about someone passing. Sometimes it's about an illness and offering support, emotional support, actual support at those times is entirely appropriate. We also talked about it not always being gossipy to talk with people about what you know is going on in your friends' lives. Which is – this is the part I'm feeling is like let's say that I've, I've seen a post from a friend that indicated they've been through some things, right? You just happen to check in or through the grapevine you hear it. Then the question becomes, do you try to seek that information out through these means that we've talked about, writing a letter, giving a phone call, you know, that aren't the social media? Or are you supposed to like, like, would you go and use someone else's social media account who you know is attached to this person to go get the backstory so you don't burden the other person with having to tell it? I think it's okay when things are public on social media to go look at them. Okay. And I I don't think that's snooping or being sneaky. I I think that it's okay to take a look if you've heard about something and you know that's a way they communicate Mm -hmm. and share information. Once upon a time, you could get a local paper and read obituaries. And that's not always possible today with the ways that we connect with people and keep up with people. Well, in obituaries you might be able to read, but you don't get like – there aren't like notices in the newspaper that your friends are sick or that their child is ill or that uh, they're moving, you know? And it's okay to go look to see if there is information about those things that is public on someone's page. Some people aren't going to share that. Just because you're connected to someone on social media doesn't mean you're getting all of that news or information. And the ways that we talk with each other and share important information, the traditional rules apply. You – are careful with information that's private, that people don't want shared. You're discreet. But when you're talking to someone from a group of college friends, you can say, have you heard what's going on with Liz? I'm not on social media as much as I used to be, and I know that you still are. That's a a really natural, normal question to ask. It's also okay to say to somebody who's decided they're cutting all of their internet ties and they're not online anymore that you heard about something. Mm-hmm. That happened with a mutual friend or somebody that you both know or a member of the family. And sharing that information isn't always gossipy if you do it in a way that's careful and considerate about what the person who's experiencing it would want. I also found myself talking with Molly about being realistic, that it's not always possible to maintain contact with everybody that you've ever met in your life. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. Let's just make this clear. It's pretty much not possible to maintain contact with everyone you've met in your life. But even those people that you were close to at various times in your life, 
I think we feel burdened that it's so exciting that we can be connected to them, that we must then be connected to them. And that's that that overwhelming friend list that we've seen develop that becomes too much to manage, too many to feel impactful, like, you know what I mm-hmm. mean, and to pay attention to significantly. So really taking care with the people that you are connected with, putting time and effort into relationships, but also being realistic with yourself about what's possible. Maybe everybody on your address list gets the New Year's or the holiday card, but there's a smaller subset that you call three, four times a year and invest that time in the conversations that allow you to catch up in a more meaningful and significant way. And an even smaller subset of that list that are people you're going to make an effort to go see, to visit, to spend that face-to-face time with. I'm so interested as to how our social networks and relationships are going to continue to grow and shrink, expand and contract as we all figure out how comfortable we are with all of the tools and options in front of us. We're curious as to hear about your thoughts on this. How are you using social media nowadays? How do you handle it when you do find out really big life news of someone who maybe only a few years ago was a close friend, but now you, you're not on social media? How, how has it impacted your relationships? Um, how are you seeing yourself engage more or less with it? We're really curious because this is a big part of etiquette nowadays. Dan, good postscript segment. Thank you. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today's is quite long, and it comes from MP. I'd like to send a salute to my coworker, Randy. When I got married three years ago, I changed my last name from a very common and easy to pronounce Spanish surname to a very rare Spanish surname that is very difficult for non Spanish speakers to pronounce. Most of my coworkers have such a difficult time with it that some have resorted to introducing me by my first name only, even after introducing everyone else in the room by first and last name. I didn't expect much different from Randy after he completely butchered my last name at a meeting last Thursday. This morning, Monday, he and I shared an elevator into our building, and he was so excited to show me that he could now pronounce my last name. I was so excited for him. He confessed that he had had help, and I was even more impressed when he explained where the help came from. He said that after last week's meeting, he went to ask his boss, a native Spanish speaker, to help him learn how to pronounce my name. Randy took time out of his day, and his boss took time out of her day to make a focused effort to learn my name. And now, four days later, he is able to pronounce my last name nearly perfectly. As anyone with an uncommon or unique name knows, when others aren't willing to make the effort to learn how to pronounce your name, it feels like you as a person are not important enough for them to even make the attempt. Like your name, the thing that is so tied to your personal identity, is an inconvenience to them. And by extension, you as a person are an inconvenience to them. 
Besides my last name, my first name is an uncommon Italian name that is difficult for pretty much everyone outside of Italy to pronounce, so this is doubly personal to me. The feeling is compounded when it's someone you work with on a regular basis who is unwilling to make the effort. I've had coworkers that I interact with on a daily basis ask me to correct their pronunciation on my first name and have literally said, whatever, after I corrected them. The fact that Randy, who I do not interact with on a regular basis, sought out help to correctly pronounce my name tells me so much about him. I'm getting teary-eyed just writing this because after 30-plus years of dealing with whatevers and close-enoughs, this simple gesture means so much to me, much more than Randy probably realizes. Thank you, Randy, for taking the time. MP. MP, thank you for taking the time to send us this Etiquette salute. I think this is awesome (laughs) etiquette. I love hearing about how it wasn't perfect right away, but how this person who wasn't succeeding put the effort in, made the investment, and what a difference this made for you. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share the show with your friends, family, and coworkers on social media. You know, where you connect with more friends, family, and sometimes coworkers if you're still using social media. You can send us your questions, comments, updates, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter. I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.